Today we're going to talk about books, the words in them, what the words mean when you read them together, and what they taught us. A very original podcast idea by yours truly. Hello and welcome to Two Nobodies, episode 8. Hey, number 8. That feels like cause for celebration, maybe. Today I want to talk about some books. like to read them, like to learn from them. Before we get into those books, I'd like to welcome in the foremost nobody, Rupesh. Buddy, how are you? Good, good. I'm excited to hear the kind of books. I mean, if it's, a, if it's anything like your five for dinner, I'm going to know none of these authors and it's... But they're going to be amazing lessons that I'm sure you're going to share with me. So I am pumped. Or it's just garbage. Maybe it'll just be hot garbage. <laughs> just like one will be a Spider-Man comic book or something. <laughs> I'm sure some like life lessons. I'm sure some life lessons have been. Well, yeah. That uh, what's his? What's that guy's name? Who? The, Calvin Hobbes. That's right. He's he's a bit of a modern day philosopher. I don't know if anybody's ever learned any like life altering truths through, through reading Archie or. I don't know. There were some interesting stories there. Um, I remember one, uh, Veronica made some cookies and the gang didn't like them because they were too hard. But Reggie solved the problem because he took the cookies to his hockey practice to be used as hockey pucks. So there's probably some life lessons to be learned in there, some resourcefulness and not wasting things. And- I feel like I totally missed out with the comic book thing after that lesson that you just told me. Honestly, Archie kind of sucks. I would not read Archie <laughs> at all. I don't, I don't know how they've been in production for like 100 years. And you can buy them still, I think, at the grocery store when you're checking out. But Archie's not that great. Don't spend Is Archie a Canadian Archie. comic? No. Oh, okay. No, I was I just thinking so. about the yeah. hockey thing. I wondered. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, I was, the only reason I actually remember that one Archie comic is because it had hockey pucks in it or a reference to a hockey puck, yeah. which is not something that I would think okay. happened often in the pages of Archie Digest. Yeah. Yeah. Or or double digest yeah. in some cases. Yeah. Anyways, um, sorry about that tangent. How are you doing? What did you have for uh, supper tonight? What uh, or what was the most interesting meal that you had this week? Mm. This week was actually a lot of uh, takeout and and well, not takeout. Sorry, uh, leftovers because uh, we started off the week with Avina's birthday, which went off well for the most part. Uh, she was really excited about. We called them surprises up until for a few days, like gifts. But she was just, she was just like. I get a surprise today, and she's just really excited about that, uh, of course. But she was also when we had some of her cousins' video in, and she had a little bit of a sad moment afterwards because she realized that they weren't actually coming, and and things were different this year compared to last year, where you know they had flown down from Ontario, and we'd spent really good time over here. So it was she felt that bit of sadness, which was which was heartbreaking, and and all that, but. Um, but as a result of her birthday, we had, we ordered Thai that night and Thai just lasts forever. Like they just, they put a good amount of food. I love it. It's, it, it caters to all kinds of dietary restrictions. So we had, we had that for a few meals. And so that was probably the highlight, I guess. I mean, we made, we always make some, make actually really good pizza. Um, even though it's gluten-free, dairy-free, it's just, it's, it's, it's very delicious, very tasty. Do you buy like a, like a gluten-free 
dough yeah, starter? Yeah, we do use a we do use a pre-mix. We use like Bob's Red Mill um, oh, as yeah, a mix, yeah. but then I kind of add my own you know touches to it. A flare. A little flare adds some culinary flare. Absolutely. Have to add a flare and and then we you know make our own kind of pesto sauce and it's good. Oh, good. It, it turns out pretty good. good. So we've been getting better at that. So yeah, we've had pizza, Thai, you know, just it was a good leftover week. Just a trip around the world for your yes, tongue. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, good. Good. This is where uh, Kyle really shines, by the way, is this kind of like this kind of random humor. I love it. Well, now the pressure's on. Now I'm just yeah. going to a bunch of wet farts yeah. instead of funny jokes. <laughs> I was on a roll and then you just Yeah, well, me. you know, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not what you do. Um, good. Well, uh, so today, without further ado, this episode was my idea, and it's a really, really good idea, real intellectual um, you know, thought process going to this one, but three books that you could talk about that have helped you either be more present, either be a better father, either be just a better person, or have kind of helped you in some way or another, and um, that's sort of what today's conversation is 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 going to be around so nothing too heavy i don't think um but yeah i thought that we would just kind of go one for one back and forth and kind of talk about the books and sort of why they're important to us and the first book i have uh is actually in the vein of of parenthood and it's um i've actually referenced it in an earlier episode it's called rocking fatherhood the dad to be's guide to staying cool (laughs) (laughs) uh isn't you know the coolest uh, subtitle, but whatever. What does that uh, say about got, what does that say about you? If you got to find a book that says about staying cool. I, all I want to do is stay cool. Yeah, that's my only goal in life is yeah. just to stay cool. As you can tell by looking at me, yeah. I'm cool, and, and I want to. You're gonna you're gonna show your son later that you read this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm I read a parenting book that says it shows you how to stay cool. Yeah. So I'm I'm a pretty cool yeah, guy. Yeah, uh, and it's by a guy named Chris Cornelis. And the reason that I like this book is because um, sort of, as we just talked about, when I sort of want to learn about something, I generally try to find a book on it or like the best book in that field and, and sort of start there. And my wife kind of got on that trend before I did. Um, after we were expecting, she picked up the world famous What to Expect When You're Expecting. And it's a good book. And there's a lot of information in that book. And I picked up sort of the the male companion to it or the fatherhood companion to it called um, The Expectant Father. Also a good book. Mm. But the thing about those books is they provide you a ton of information and they provide you a a ton of information about the good and a ton of information about the bad. And I know that what to expect when you're expecting has been criticized as of late as maybe making parents more anxious than they need to be. Like they share a lot of... So they basically say, hey, here's week one through four of your pregnancy. Here's what's happening. Here's here's what to expect. And here's a bunch of stuff that might go wrong, but don't worry about it, but it might go wrong. And that can um, that can kind of get in your head as a new parent. Um, well, especially, so I, especially if like those things in one through four don't actually pan out, you're probably like, crap. Like, and they almost never do, yeah, right? But they just yeah. went, and it, it's, you know, so the point of the book is to provide information. So they want to say, hey, you know, if all of a sudden this happens, maybe get it checked out because it could mean that like something's going on here. And so it's it it comes from a place of good faith where they're mm-hmm. just trying to share information. But when you're a new parent and all this stuff seems kind of overwhelming or you're expecting parent and all this stuff seems kind of overwhelming, sometimes too much information can, can sort of be a bad thing. And for people who think maybe a bit too much like me, um, it can kind of get in your head a little bit. 
And so I was sort of struggling a bit with these books I was reading with all this information, you know, good and bad. And it was kind of swirling around in my head. And then my buddy just sent me a book out of the blue and it was this one. And um, I was trying to think of a way to sort of describe it, but I'm just going to read you the back of the book because he kind of puts it, um, the ethos of his book um, in a nice kind of neat package here in the back. So I'll read it. So it says, let me guess, your Facebook page is littered with baby studies and you're hearing having a baby changes everything more often than having a baby is pure joy. The sad fact is the pregnancy has been turned into a cataclysmic medical emergency and parenthood's become an obstacle course of optimization. And so he kind of sets out to put parenthood in a, um, under a lens of this is a fun thing. This is an exciting thing. Yes, it can be life altering in a few ways, but your life can still kind of remain the same and you just incorporate this new person into it. And how great is that? Mm -hmm. And so he has a bunch of lighthearted stories, um, that I found to be very informative, but also kind of keep things fun. And he's also very, very honest and very, very humble. He talks about he has friends who had certain addictions before pregnancy, you know, to certain things, whether it's, you know, tobacco or alcohol or drugs or whatever, and how it's important to sort of uh, get yourself in a good place with that before a baby comes along and and to sort of get your life in order, um, you know, before this child comes along. And he's very, very open about the struggles that he's had with that. And I think it really kind of humanizes what it means to go from somebody who doesn't have any kids mm-hmm. to somebody who does and all the things that, that you need to do. So I really, really appreciated sort of this lens of keeping it fun. This is an exciting thing. And you know what? We all have some cleaning up around our lives that we should probably do, um, you know, whether it's financial or habit-wise or whatever it is, even like your relationship. And he provides some kind of helpful medical advice too, but not mm. too much. And the balance is there. And so I breezed through this book and I found that when I was done reading it, I felt really good about what was to come and it left me in this really, really positive headspace where in some of the other books that I read, I felt really overwhelmed and a little Creating, anxious yeah. about the whole thing. So, so it, this, it wasn't very tactical. Would, would you say it was very tactical or not so much? Like it was, it didn't sound like it's kind of planned things out for you. It was more of like kind of setting some, uh, like a groundwork in terms of how maybe you should approach parenthood and then just establishing a mindset perhaps is... Yeah, yeah. So it's basically like a week by week thing. So it says week one, here's generally what's happening with your wife okay. uh, so or your partner who, who's pregnant. Um, here's what's happening maybe with you and like maybe some anxieties you're having. And he, he'll kind of talk about that. Mm-hmm. And here's a funny story about when I was going through this or here's an interesting point or whatever. And so he generally kind of, even on the chat, like, you know, so uh, when you're reading from chapter 33 to chapter 34, you know, not a lot changes, but he he's a uh, he's a music journalist, I think, by trade. And so he has some pretty interesting stories, even about like rock stars, like Duff McKeegan, who's the, I think the bass player maybe for, um, not Def Leppard, one of those 80s hair bands. And he, um, this is a guy who's like, uh, one of his organs like, exploded because he was just drinking too much and all that <laughs> stuff. And so he, he like tells these stories about, about these guys who are living like these really rough lives yeah. and have kind of undergone this transformation to become amazing parents. And it sort of, I really like the lens that he puts on it through that. We're like, you don't need to be this person who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year and, you know, drives a new car and like, and like lives in this big fancy house or whatever. Like, you know, you don't need to make a lot of money, but, and like live like in a one bedroom apartment um, and still be great parents and still be a happy family. And so just to kind of keep this sort of realistic lens on it for a lot of people. So I really, really appreciate that. Uh, so what about you? Um, the first book I had that I want to talk about was, 
it's something I read, I want to say when I was maybe 25. It was called The Leader Who Had No Title. It was okay. written by Robin Sharma. And it was it was really my sort of first real leadership book. And, and why I bring this up is because I think we've talked about this, but I very, feel very strongly, and I'm sure most parents do, that parenting is kind of another, it's just a leadership challenge and it's just another exercise in leadership. And and I feel like if you get really good, quote unquote, at parenting, um, you're probably naturally going to be also a pretty good leader. And so I found myself connecting to a lot of the things I had learned and also thinking about how I would sort of maybe want to pass these kind of lessons on to my daughter. And so again, it was first real, first real leadership book and there were several important understandings and lessons that I gained as I was finishing school. So I think, you know, when I think we've been taught for such a long time that, you know, you kind of need a title to be a leader that we should care about that. We should care about our net worth. We should care about you know, our social position in life and society. But really, you don't really need to have a title to be a leader. And and that was like the, the really the main lesson of that book. I mean, there are many other lessons I'm going to mention. But he kind of talks about how, you know, essentially like the CEO kind of gets buried next to the street sweeper at the end of the day, right? And what you make with your life is more important than than the title be, beside your name. And so the story focuses on, it's like a short story. It's a fable that takes this person. His name is Blake Davis. He's a veteran. He's kind of down on hard times. He's working at this bookstore and he meets this, he meets this person, this man, and this man happens to be his, his, um, his dad's friend. And he's come to kind of, you know, I guess, share some things and take him through these different leadership lessons and he passes them on to different people. And, and so that was sort of the, the first lesson and he he talks about um you know the the first kind of thing that he sort of made me realize or think about was he made me reflect on on sort of my death like what like how I would look back on my life so here I am at the age of 25 I had never thought about that I've always thought about sort of what what life is happening what's going to happen the next day or the next month and thinking about my career and I mean I'd still continue my studies but I was not thinking about whenever that time comes. And so he was really having this guy, Blake Davis, thinking about, okay, living sort of every day to its fullest and not having regrets. And that was sort of the first time that that was really implanted into my brain. I mean, I had heard that before, live life with no regrets, leave, live, um, leave no stone unturned. I just didn't really internalize it. And that was the first time I really started to internalize it. And I think it's a way that I continue to live by and I think it's a I think it's a lesson that I absolutely want to make sure that my daughter understands and that she she really tries to live each moment purposefully and mindfully and and experiences life and all those sort of things. So that that was sort of the, that was sort of the the first thing. The the other lesson that he 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 described which again, kind of heard, but never internalized was turbulent times builds great leaders. And I think that was really important because I mean, even like as a, as a, as a kid, the smallest thing might be turbulence, right? But sort of how you, we talked about in the, 
I think it was the fears and risks episode about sort of emotional regulation and being able to kind of kids being able to kind of get through these things. And that's one piece of it. But I think the other piece of it is, okay, it's turbulent. So if you can help a child get through that, it just makes them more resilient. And I think that was sort of important for me. And I think that in some of the more challenging things that have happened over the last few years, I think having that, knowing that lesson from so many years ago, I always, I always tried to some, I never, I don't, I, I feel like I don't always take the easy road in things. And I think that that has paid dividends and has made me more resilient and has allowed me to just kind of get through those hard times. And, and I think I'm able to connect with people, especially if those people have gone through hard times, I can just be able to summon sort of like those hard moments within myself to be able to connect. I was just reading something the other day that, that talked about people's um, views on experiences as they're going through the experience and then after they've gone through the experience. And when people look back on their lives and say, that was a great time in my life, they often reference times that were um, not easy or mm -hmm. difficult mm -hmm. or or they were very turbulent. So they faced some form of adversity and they had to work their way through it. But it was like these periods of turbulence. And those are often times that, that people will look um, back on and say, you know, that was a formative time for me. And now, maybe even when I was in it, I didn't view it as a positive thing. And there are sort of exceptions to that rule. But times that, that were considered difficult when you're in them, when they look back at them, they see them almost as an achievement or this positive experience. Interesting Ab point. Absolutely. And I remember even the little things. I remember... It might have been grade 10 or grade 11. I had this one chemistry teacher and I was terrible at chemistry. And she would always call me out. It's like she was picking on me because she knew I wasn't doing well. And I just hated her, right? And she was just tough or whatever. And I look back at that and I, I and immediately I wasn't like fond of her. I was glad that that class was over. But I remember there was this these there were these sort of other hidden lessons that I was learning as I kind of went through things, which was, you know, she was telling me like, you know, when you get into university, you're kind of this, you're, you're not going to have the same kind of attention. You're going to have to go through these hard times and you're going to have to put in the work. And I wasn't putting nobody's in the gonna work. Nobody's going to hold your hand. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to hold my hand. And, and I think that I didn't get that lesson at that moment. I hated it, but I got it later. So I, I agree with you. I think that we tend to remember these things and, and you, and you, you know, you can sink or swim on that. Right. And, and I think the great leaders, um, based on this book, and I think we generally know are the ones who, uh, who typically swim. The other lesson he talks about is sort of the deeper the relationship, the stronger your leadership. And I think, I think that's anyone who studies leadership or anyone who understands if you want to have some sort of influence or have some connection, relationships are important. And I guess the only thing I would add to this and I think more people are recognizing this and is in such a polarized society, especially our kids are, are growing up in one. And it's not to say that things were not polarized in the past. Of course, things were polarized, but it's, it's, I don't know if you found that it is much harder to, to build bridges with someone that you, that you disagree with. If you don't have that relationship, if you're trying to find common ground with that person, you really need to have a relationship with that person. So now you think about, you know, all the all the political polarization that's happening, and there's so much disagreement. There's 
you know, I almost think that if, if people really sat down with each other and tried to get to know the other person as opposed to posting anonymously or just saying these random things, you know, it would make such a difference. But I think there's also this sort of lack of willingness and desire to build relationships with people that you disagree with. Yeah. And and I think that it's a huge source of dysfunction. So that's sort of the, the lesson I would want to teach my daughter is that if you encounter somebody that you disagree with, try to reach over to them and understand their perspective. And you may not agree with them at the end of the day, but you'd be able to find much more common agreement with that person because you've now built a relationship. I have a friend who him and I do not see eye to eye politically or on many things, but we always have such rich conversations. And I find it's because we have a friendship and we have a relationship there. And, and, but if I didn't know him, you know, I, 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 I think he's crazy, you know, like it's, it's, so I think, think, yeah, go ahead. Like the, like there almost has to be a recognition of the individual and the human aspect to those conversations that it's, it's easy to see somebody and say, oh, here's a polarizing political issue. I support A and you B. And that means that we can't have a conversation at all because I'm just going to simply read you off. But if you sort of hear them out or even just give them a little bit of opportunity to to sort of explain themselves or at least recognize the human aspect of their position, I mean, that's got to help, right? I just heard about the, in the 2016 Trump election, and and this doesn't marry perfectly with your point, but it's an interesting story um, that might kind of align with it a bit. In the in the 2016 election, so that was when uh, Trump v. Hillary Clinton, uh, there was a pro-Trump rally in a mall somewhere in the United States, and there was a bunch of um, Black Lives Matter counter-protesters that were there kind of protesting Trump. And it was getting escalated, and then one of the pro-Trump rally organizers uh, got up on stage and said it's a free country and we all get our chance for free speech so i'm going to invite one of you up here to share your point of view Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so he said you have five minutes of airtime on our stage please come up and Mm -hmm. they did and the result was insane at the end of it people in the pro-trump rally were having pictures taken with the black lives matter supporters Mm -hmm. holding each other's children and so it was it was this moment of like realizing sort of the human in 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 each other and saying, you know, we don't agree on 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 certainly who we want to be president, but we can agree on a number of things and and I can appreciate the human in you and they built this sort of small relationship just in that couple of minutes and like having that relationship kind of helped that point and they left shaking hands at the end of it. And so if you build those relationships and then over a long term and those deep, deep, deep relationships like like what you're talking about, you know, just think of the impact that can have. For sure. I mean, it it makes it much easier for you to put yourself in that person's shoes, right? Because you want to, first of all, you have that relationship and then you have an understanding of that person. And so you can really visualize, okay, why that person is seeing something the way they're seeing that thing. So. The last lesson is um, to be a great leader, be a great person. And I always thought, I guess, pre-reading this book, that leadership was very outward focused, right? That it was all about sort of how you lead others and you got to work on those skills and, and, but it, but it's even more about leading yourself first, right? Getting to a place of where 
you are that mindful person. You are that emotionally intelligent person. You have built your skills. You are self-aware. You are confident, all those things, so that you can then project and be able to sort of model the way, right? And I didn't understand that modeling the way. I didn't understand how important that was. I just thought, okay, if you had really good skills and you knew how to um, sort of command people or or that sort of thing, you could lead others. And so that was sort of the first lesson about, okay, leadership starts with you first and, and, and not also playing the victim, right? Like, like every, like that's actually one of my, that's something that I have a hard time with people, people who play the victim card and don't take ownership or don't look within themselves. I try to have patience with them. And especially if it's somebody I don't know, I'll have a lot of patience but if it's somebody that I do know and it's, you know, you're trying to help them through that and they continue to play the victim, I start to lose my patience on that one because it's just, how can you not look within yourself? Like we all have roles to play on that. So mm-hmm. it's, so I think that some of the best leaders I've ever had in my life weren't even trying to be leaders. They were just mm-hmm. being good people, making the right decisions Absolutely. at the right time. Yeah. So that's a really, really eye-opening lesson in that book i think is and i found too that people and i don't know if if um you feel the same and this sort of goes back to the first lesson in the book people in leadership roles that are really trying to be quote unquote good leaders versus just being a good person and making good decisions i find that sometimes that can be incredibly transparent and it makes those people bad leaders Mm. so if even if you're even if you have the title and you're reading all the right leadership books, but you're not doing the things, not doing that self-reflection point that like you just talked about. It can make you a terrible, terrible leader. Well, people see right through it, right? People will be like, okay, you're talking a big game, but I don't see it actually, you're not embodying that in any way, shape or form. And so you're going to lose people. You're not going to have people follow you. Like people need to know that you are embodying those characteristics that you're trying to lead with. And I, I think the last, it wasn't a particular leadership lesson, but it was something that was said in the book. And this also stood out with me is I always thought that just not everyone can really lead. And so this book was really saying, no, everyone has leadership potential. Everyone can lead and must lead. If you think about, we were just, I think, talking about this before the start of our uh, start of this podcast. It's important that everyone works on things in their day-to-day that they're passionate and interested about interested in that they can really lead and 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 be creative with and that's really the way that you can contribute to society and make a make a positive difference so everyone can lead it may not be in your current job or might just be even with something you might just be maybe you lead the creation of a spreadsheet well make it the baddest ass spreadsheet you've ever created (laughs) right like that makes a difference right pivot tables yes yes you want to sort to columns? The, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and that was, that was a big thing, right? Is like they had this in, in part of the story, they had one of the person, one of the people who teaching the, this Blake Davis guy, a lesson was made and she, she was, everyone loved her services and she loved her job that you could see the passion in her work. She was leading within her work and she was making a difference and they wanted to promote her but she she chose to just she loved her job and she wanted to she didn't want the extra responsibility she just wanted to be really really great at what she did and i think there's a lot of people who want to jump to other levels but they don't fully like 
do what they need to do at the level that they're at and don't are not great at that level and aspire to be great, right? And I would say that I think that in order for you to really be great, you got to be great at every level, right? You got to really lead at every level in order to in order to really succeed, I think. So so anyway, so those are I, the re, I brought that book again because those those are leadership lessons that I learned at an early age. It's something that I hope that I can share with with Avina in, in in obviously meaningful and tangible ways that I don't have to wait till she's fifteen or something like that, but just kind of embed them as she as she grows up and and I think I think she's gonna be fine. With a dad like you, I think she's gonna be fine too. <laughs> I try, man. So what's your what's your second? Number two for me is uh, this isn't a sexy book, and it's not going to be a very exciting five minutes when I talk about it. But it's a book about finances. So when I was a young man, I didn't have a good handle on finances. I didn't really have any financial plan. I didn't have any. I didn't really understand things. I didn't know what a mutual fund was. I didn't know. I I really had no idea how to save money and save it in a way that sort of made any sense, or you know, sort of. Uh, maximize compound interest all that stuff i had no idea you know and i would even into my 20s i would carry credit card debt and i would um i just wasn't i didn't have any form of long-term view on finances and i also didn't understand how much that could impact your future and how much that could impact your your day-to-day life and so i started looking into it and one of the first books i read was the wealthy barber by um, Mm -hmm. dan what's his name david shilton David Shelton, that's the guy. And um, that was sort of the the gateway there. But the one that really stuck home with me was a book called The Millionaire Teacher by a guy named Andrew Hallam. I have that book, man. I love it. It's yeah, my favorite financial book. It's your favorite financial it's book? It's my favorite financial book. <laughs> Sorry, um, go ahead. Don't mean to steal from you, but I love well, it. Well, great. So now like you're gonna I'm gonna try to talk about it and then, <laughs> and, and you're gonna be like, actually, this is what Hallam <laughs> meant when he said that. And you dope um and the subtitle is the nine rules of wealth you should have learned in school and it's a really interesting book because i think it's he really harps on the fact that schools don't teach you how to how to be ready financially mm-hmm. in the world and i certainly wasn't and not to say that that's school's fault but there were no classes i took when i was in high school even university and i'm a science background so that it wouldn't make sense that i was looking to take uh, financial courses but that really taught me how to even pay a bill or even how to save money or even, you know, savings accounts or whatever. I didn't know anything about that stuff. And so he, he sort of harps on that, but his main point is the world of investing and saving can seem like this really, really complex thing where you need to do in-depth analysis and you need right. to I- identify individual companies that like you want to invest in. And in order to do that, like you need to be looking at uh, cash flows, balance statements, income Income statements, cash flow, income statements, balance mm-hmm. sheets, mm-hmm. Um, and doing an in-depth analysis on companies and then investing your money and hoping that it all works out. Or you can go to a bank and say, hey, bank, I've got whatever, a thousand bucks and I want to invest it long term. And then they're going to sell you these funds. Um, but the problem with those funds is generally there's a really high um, management expense ratio, mm-hmm. MER. You know, so the bank is taking a cut off of your money and, and that can really impact your long-term outcome for savings. And I didn't know any of that stuff. I had no idea about any of this stuff. So he, he really dumbs it down um, even for a schmuck like me to understand. And he sort of walks through, you know, why it's important to save money. He walks through sort of the pitfalls of 
what prevents people from saving money long-term. He talks about what your sort of options are for long-term saving, why some are good, why some are bad. And then he kind of lays out this really simple strategy, which he didn't come up with uh, by any stretch, but he just lays it out in a way that's really, really easy to comprehend and quite digestible and actually a pretty enjoyable read. And he's basically talking about index funds. And um, I'm not going to get into, in, um, into index fund investing or ETFs or any of that stuff on, on this podcast, mostly because I'm still a moron when it comes to it. But what I really appreciate about this book is it left you with an understanding of why it's important to save, why debt is bad, some things to avoid when you're trying to save. And then also, here's a pretty easy option. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an easy, simple option to save money in the long term that historically has worked out quite well for for people that did it. And his whole tagline is, it takes an hour a year to do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's quite that simple, but it's not far off. And so Mm -hmm. it, it took me a couple hours, you know, to to sort of get everything set up and, you know, it took me hours and hours and hours of kind of reading and research to understand why that was the best way to go ahead. But this book I found, I probably read three or four books trying to figure out what I want to do with my finances. And this one was by far the most valuable um, as far as taking somebody who didn't really know what they were doing to after I turned the last page, being pretty confident in sort of how I want to invest my money and not feeling overwhelmed at all and actually feeling sort of empowered to, you know, to go and make these decisions. And he also, I also sort of um, thought about banks and the advice that banks um, would give me as far as what to do with my savings. I mean, they're banks. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, like they wouldn't give me bad advice. And, you know, whatever <laughs> they're telling me is is probably the best way to invest my money. And he does a good job of just saying, you know what, you don't really need to listen to your banks because they're a business and they're looking to make mm-hmm. money off of you. And they're selling these things to you for a reason. And so that really kind of hit home with me that this is something that, that, that your investments can be DIY and it doesn't have to take a lot of time and it can save you a lot of money and it can make you feel pretty good financially. And you know, so I've sort of taken the steps that, that, that he kind of outlines in the book and I did take his advice and I am investing in index funds currently and I feel pretty good about my uh, my finances uh, for somebody in, in my position anyways. And I think that, that this book had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think he did a he that book I loved and I and he had a great section on the financial crisis too and so when um pretty much almost a year ago when everything dropped by you know the S&P dropped by like almost 40% I I revisited that section to kind of hear what he what he did and you know he did a lot of buying during that time sort of that buy low approach and yeah I I I did I agree I I it was outlined everything in a very simple way, easy to understand, practical advice. And you can see now there's a lot of sort of cookie cutter, easy ETF portfolios that you can just throw your money in and passively invest. And, and there's no, and it's almost like in my mind, there's no rationale for you not to do something like that, right? Like yeah. really a savings account to get point one percent you get nothing like you're just you're wasting your money especially with inflation right now we're low inflation but like as inflation picks up like it just doesn't make any sense yeah so yeah i think it's a great book the other book um that i read before that which i thought was really good was called automatic millionaires by david bach and the only added piece like he says something very similar in terms of 
the passive investing and how it can be very simple and kind of takes lessons of, of David Chilton and the wealthy barber about how you should pay yourself first and all those kind of lessons. But he also talks about like the importance of life insurance. And so it has a little bit more of financial planning added to it. Whereas I found millionaire teacher was more of an, uh, of an investing book. And so I, I like that one uh, quite a bit because it got us thinking about, okay, we should have life insurance. That's an important thing. You know, whereas I think we probably we may have waited until we had a kid to get life insurance, but because of that book, we were like, okay, we felt compelled enough to to get it soon after we got married. So nice. I love that book. Uh, second book I have is the Five Love Languages. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it, but I have not read it. Great book. It's by Gary Chapman. It uh, really helped me understand the way I show and need to receive love. Acts of service. Is that one? That is one of them, but it's okay. not my top. But uh, but it is it is absolutely one of the one of the five love languages. Um, it also, I mean, teaches taught me how to love my partner and understand the kind of things that she needed, you know. And I think that I think it kind of understood, you know. You you've been with a partner for so long, but but actually, it like this gave me really clear a lot more clarity as far as like okay. Michelle particularly receives love in this way and, and it actually can be different from the way I need to receive love. So we really learn that about each other and just having that sort of framing and that sort of categorization really helped clarify things. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of bringing a guest to being a dad is I'm now mindful of my daughter's love languages and oh, okay. how, and how, and how they evolve, which I'm sure they will. And, um, and then show her and then make sure that I show her love in the way she needs it the most. So it's, it's, it's actually been pretty cool. So the five love languages for anyone who hasn't uh, read the book is words of affirmation. So just sort of, you know, providing thank yous and recognition and, and all that. And there's no judgment on any of these. It's just how people receive love. Uh, quality time, receiving gifts is another one. Acts of service, you write Kyle, and physical touch. So for me, like my number one is uh, physical touch. Quality time is also there and um, and acts of service, I think, might be up there. I definitely know physical touch and quality time are, are my top two. And so does Michelle the book walk... Oh, sorry, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so does the book sort of walk you through and say, here's how you can kind of figure out what your love languages are? Well, there's a, there's a test. You can go online mm. and you can you can do these things. Okay. Uh, but they kind of describe each one and they give you some couple scenarios at the end. and It's pretty neat. But uh, yeah, so Michelle's is, is different. Like hers is not physical touch is the first one. Uh, quality time is number one. Hmm. And so we both recognize, okay, those are important things. But now she knows for me, it's like, Pesh likes to be touched, <laughs> right? And that, that's a- <laughs> Back that's rubs. A, yeah, exactly, right? Or, um, you know, hugs are important or that sort of thing, whatever it might be. But that, that's okay. just an important thing for me. And for her, it's quality time. And so, you know, I noticed that if we haven't connected or whatever, like that, I can see how that affects her. And I have noticed in my daughter that if I spend a lot of time with her and I play with her and all that, she is, she is with me by my side. She wants, you know, dad, 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 dad. Right. Oh, interesting. And, and so I suspect, I mean, given that Michelle and I have that love languages in our top, that she will probably have that. So, Whenever I don't 
um, give her the time or if I'm looking at my phone or whatever, the part of me is kind of like, oh, no, I'm not like showing her the love or whatever. And I try not to get too conscious about it, but it's something that I just want to make sure I monitor and I'm, I'm there for her when it comes to quality time. I'm, I'm anxious to see sort of, uh, I think she likes physical touch as well. Like she likes to wrestle and she likes to hug <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and you never know, that could be a way of her showing love as well. And yeah. um, But I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring the other ones. But I think it's important for me to understand that for myself and I'm glad that I learned it before um, becoming a dad. I was just going to say, so did you read the book after you met Michelle? Yeah. Yeah. And did, okay. Uh, but you read it um, before you had Avina. Yes. So it was actually, it wasn't even that long ago. I want to say maybe five years ago. Okay. And, and Michelle and I had been together for some time already. Right. Yeah. But this, this really explains some things. I think we were, I think we were both, you know, there's a, there was a little bit of like misunderstanding, I think. Right. And we just didn't understand why we, you know, it really opened our eyes to like, okay, this really makes a lot of sense about like, okay, I, I like, how come Michelle doesn't need as many hugs as I do? Like, what's like, why wouldn't anyone need hugs or, or as many hugs as I do or something like that? Right. Okay. That makes more sense. Or, or why I thought I just spent a bunch of time with her. Like why, you know, why is she feeling down about this? Right. And, you know, I'm simplifying things, but no, but, no, but like it, what a valuable it, it yeah, tool yeah. or like lens to look through. Be like, what do you like? I like, I love acts of service, let's say. And so I'm doing all these things for you, but maybe you're so busy doing the acts of service. Like, you know, I don't know, uh, the dishes or uh, cooking or whatever that you're not spending any quality time with your partner. And so like, they're getting flustered that they never see mm-hmm. you. Absolutely. You, so, yeah. I mean, like what a valuable um, tool or like valuable insight into your relationship. Well, I, I think actually Michelle's, I think uh, acts of service is up there too. And so I think she was telling me like she would be, she thought she was showing me the right kind of love through acts of service mm-hmm. and physical touch was really the thing that was sort of lacking. And so because I wasn't getting full with the physical touch, I just wasn't feeling like I was getting the the kind of love that I really would respond to. Ah, right? interesting. So it, yeah, it is It is actually that way. You might think that you're giving the, you, you feel like you're giving all that you can or the love that you need to be giving to your partner or to your family member, but it's just not the right, you're not speaking the right language, right? So Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Cool book. I should yeah. read that book. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you should. Like we could do an episode where I would say, hey, this is what I think I am. And I would go away and read it and then come back. Like mm-hmm. I was wrong. Or like this is what I think my wife is or my son is. Actually, no, they were neither of those things. I'm just a terrible person. Well, I would say just because you've mentioned like just at a friendship level, how you love to just have beer and burgers with the buddy. Like I would think quality time is up there for yeah. you. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I also like a good hug. Mm, yeah, I would say quality time is probably an important one. I wonder about. I don't I think some, you're a receiving gifts guy. I mean, you can you know shower <laughs> me in riches. I'm not going to hate you more for it. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that you're everyone. People are zero on receiving gifts. I just don't think it'd be. I feel like it'd probably be your last. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. I'll, I have some serious self reflection to do on this, but I should yes. read that book. Sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Right, very cool. Who wrote it? Uh, Gary Chapman. Okay. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. That's a good one. That's the best book so far, I think. Okay. Well, I'll go on to my last one. Sure. And so this one, it's um, it's uh, it's called the Emperor's Handbook, and it's a translation of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Mm. And so Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor in like 
year 161 to year 180 or something. Why do I always think the gladiator? Uh, was, his, was his name not Marcus Aurelius? Like the movie? Uh, No, his name was Maximus something, wasn't it? But I swear I remember him saying Marcus Aurelius. Maybe. Oh, it maybe, it it could be in the same time. I have no idea if uh, Glad if like like Marcus Aurelius is a character in Gladiator. I haven't seen that movie in so many years, but I remember I being a really movie. good movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I hope that Marcus Aurelius isn't um, your Queen Phoenix in that movie. Isn't he just like <laughs> a huge dick? Oh yeah, he's the worst. It's I like, hope that's I not hate, I hated Queen Phoenix after that movie. Yeah, me too. He's such yeah. a good actor. I think yeah, he is good. Yeah. So I hope that's not Marcus Aurelius. Otherwise, I just look like an idiot. But uh, so he was uh, a Roman emperor from yeah, like in the in the one hundred somewhere. He's considered to be one of the best Roman emperors. There was a, like a series of five Roman emperors who maintained Rome in like a time of peace, and they're considered like the five great Roman emperors. And I think he was one of the last of ones. Mm. But I think he's actually more famous for being a Stoic and um, a Stoic or. Stoicism is this branch of philosophy um, that teaches the development of self-control and fortitude as a means of overcoming destructive emotions. Uh, and I had to read that off my phone because I couldn't, I couldn't remember what the clear definition of it was, even though I sort of knew what it was. But it's basically like there's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of rational thinking. And it's a lot about what your perception is and how your perception can impact your view of the world or how you feel about the world or um, even like your emotions towards the world. Mm. So this book was basically Marcus Aurelius's own personal journal. And he just kind of wrote down his thoughts and eventually it was published and it's been you know published for, well, you know, thousands of years, probably, I guess, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's been translated a bunch of times. And this one uh, called The Emperor's Handbook, I think, is the best translation, at least because some of them can get quite bogged down in um, sort of archaic language. And I think mm-hmm. that that sort of does a disservice to the message of the of the book itself. And it's basically just a series of bullet points that I have found, to me anyways, even just reading a couple of pages of this when I'm feeling overwhelmed about something can can sort of help. And so I told myself that I'd come on the podcast. I wouldn't have any quotes pulled from the book. I would just flip to a page. I would read a quote from the book just to illustrate how useful this book can be and, and how this interesting is risky. it is. This is very risky though, because there's some weird quotes in here too. <laughs> but so I'm going to do it be now. a weird one. I'm, yeah, I'm just going to like flip through some pages here. And He's actually doing it, guys. And I'm going to run my finger down and I'm just going to read one. Death, like birth, is one of nature's mysteries. The combining of primal elements and dissolving of the same into the same. Nothing about death should shame or upset us, for it is entirely in keeping with our nature as rational animals and with the law governing us. So don't worry about death. One less thing to worry about. Thanks, Marcus. (laughs) Uh, I'll do one more here. The best revenge is not to do as they do. Come on, how good is that? That's that's a sweet one. That's yeah. really good, right? Maybe we'll do yeah. one more here. Um, remember that you don't lose any freedom by changing your mind and accepting the correction of someone who points out your error. How good is that? Really, really good, right? Yeah, for and sure. This book is full of that stuff, man. I'm telling you. And it this is like... So if you are somebody who's worried about what other people think of you, fucking read this book. If you are somebody who worries about a lot of things, read this book. If you are somebody 
who um, takes offense to being challenged or often has like a feeling in your gut and takes that feeling as gospel and like defends it, but you don't really mm-hmm. have the stats to back it up, I can read this book. And it and I bring all those examples up because I do all those things. And and like this book has helped me with all that stuff. Um, so much so that I bought it. I I uh, generally get my books from the library, but after after getting this book from the library, I went and bought it because it's just it's something that's been so valuable to me as a tool. And it's actually really kind of brought me into sort of this arena of stoicism, which is really interesting too. Because like, like there's a couple other guys, I think uh, Seneca was one and maybe Epictetus was another one. And they're all just interesting dudes who were sitting around thousands of years ago, thinking interesting stuff and then writing it down. And then here we are in 2021. And it's, but it's, it like still speaks to me. And I think that's incredibly um, interesting. And I think that it sort of speaks to the fact that you know, wise thoughts and good advice almost never goes out of style. No, yeah, it's oh. uh, it's immortal essentially. Yeah, you're like a reincarnated, uh, maybe you're reincarnated Marcus Aurelius, and you came back to sell his book. That's a reasonable comparison to draw. I think you never know. You never know. Maybe the souls like to take different journeys, and they're like, ah, emperor this time. Yeah. Kyle this time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. This is exactly how an emperor would live modern day. Is this like with a nice living. sweater. With a sick sweater and just a lot of panache. So it's a good book and everybody should read it. Yeah, I'm I've never I mean you definitely hyped it up. I have to take a look at it. I haven't seen you I haven't seen you this excited about <laughs> something like this in a long time. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like near where I live, there's a nice, um, nice Creek that I, I, that Michelle and I like to go walk through. And many times I've seen Marcus Aurelius quotes posted on the trees. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I was just like gladiator. Yeah. We got to so look up. Clearly I'm role. an idiot. Yeah. I don't know. I just remember him mentioning it. Maybe, Maybe Russell Crowe's character mentioned, like Maximus mentioned it as like he was part of Marcus Aurelius's army or something like that. I don't know. Oh, but maybe that's what it is. There's, like there's the a emperor. connection somewhere. I don't know. Um, that could be it. Like maybe he's he's this gladiator that they're all willing to die for. I think it was I think it was part of like one of the first scenes, you know, when they are ready to face the other side. He was portray- remember that movie? he was portrayed by the late Richard Harris. In the 2000 film Gladiator. So apparently Marcus Aurelius was uh, murdered by his son Commodus. Oh, okay. So he's, yeah. So he's the emperor then in that movie. Yeah. I don't, I, he was I don't, the main emperor. I don't remember that part at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to well, watch Well, Keen Phoenix's character kills his dad. Oh, so, all right, good. Well, sorry, yes, not good. Like, go. it sucks well, yeah. that, that happened in the movie. That makes but, sense. But that's why he's a jerk and, and like, we all hate him. The, the best scene in that movie that I remember is when the gladiator, um, Maximus, is yeah. in the pit of death yeah. fighting the tigers and the other guys. Yeah. And he like looks up to the emperor because he's beaten this guy and he can either kill him or let him live. And he looks up to the emperor to give him a thumbs up to let him live or a thumbs down mm-hmm. to kill him. And the emperor gives him a thumbs down and then Maximus just like flips on the bird basically and says, I'm yeah. not going to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sick. Got to watch that movie yeah. again. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, so my last, my last book is, uh, it's, it's, very much a parenting book, but it actually surprisingly learned a ton of lessons about uh, just myself and and just being an adult even 
not from the content of the book, I should say, because the book is called Oh Crap Potty Training. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, by Jamie Glowacki. It was like a phenomenal method, and we were nervous about the whole process, you know, but it worked. It worked really, really well. We were told we were told to look into this by another friend who had great results, and and she just makes everything you know, she puts things in a lot of different perspectives that are easy, that are simple to understand, but she teaches you about like, you know, how not to helicopter during this, during this process to resist the temptation of going onto social media and hearing other parents talking about their potty training experience, because man, it's like, I, at one point, I think it was week one and Michelle and I were just spent and I was like, this, like, we're not even getting past the first block here. And we're, and she, so she has like, I think four blocks in the first block. She says, typically it's about one to three days, but don't get discouraged by it. And, and every kid takes their time, you know? And so it was like four or five days. Like, you know, even after three days, we're like, okay, that's fine. You know, she's taking her own, her own pace or whatever, but it was like five days. And, and the first block is you just have your, kid be naked this is the first time they're outside of diapers they're just naked and letting them be mindful of like the fact that they don't have a diaper letting them have that feeling and you know avina is she's peeing on the floor and we're trying to teach her and they give you tact she gives you tactics and sort of how to handle all that stuff and and you know she had a pooping accident and all that right um so you're spent and you're tired and you're constantly watching and they and they said you have to be really really aware because if you're if you sort of turn yourself for a moment that might give your child the reason to just pee on the floor because it's like okay mom and dad are not watching but you can't helicopter at the same time because that puts a lot of pressure so you're like trying to find this balance and you're just learning a lot about yourself in that process and so after four or five days I was just like screw it. I was like, I got to look on social. I got to see why this is not working. And so went on social media, everyone's saying, took me one day, took me two days, took me three days. I'm like, Oh my God, this is now I understand what she's talking about. So really helps you resist temptations, um, that I think all parents probably fall, fall victim to not just with potty training, but with anything, because we just feel like we're the only person on the planet who's going through this. Right. Uh, it helps you build persistence because it's like just stick to this kind of method. There's a lot of research behind it, um, you know, a lot of a lot of great thinking behind it. So just stay persistent with it. Follow things. Follow things. Follow through things uh, fully. Um, not to overwhelm your child. So again, that whole pressure thing is is important. And then like learning how to celebrate your child's success. So when they actually go through the potty, like make that a big deal but then like also make because it's a natural thing that's supposed to happen don't go crazy over the idea because if you go crazy over the idea then they think like this is supposed to be this major major event that every time this happens it's supposed to be um but no it's just supposed to be a natural process right so be like hey great job you did it you you pooped in the potty right Let's move on, right? But like acknowledge it so they feel good, but don't get carried away. So it's like all these sort of like how to walk that fine line and you're doing this under immense stress, but she's teaching you how to kind of get through it. So I found that found that uh, really interesting. 
Yeah, it was because it it uh, I I also read that book and we kind of used it for our son's potty training as well. And it's so I I I like the blocks and the steps. Like block yeah. one, you basically just trip yeah. your kid down when they start peeing or pooping. Then you kind of calmly rush them to the potty mm-hmm. and then put them on there. And you know, block one ends when basically they're on the potty for all, like so they're naked, but they're on the potty for all their pees or poops. Mm-hmm. And then you introduce pants. And then you sort of do the same thing, and then you introduce underwear, and you sort of do the same thing, and then you 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 sort of spice in, you know, short trips out of the house, and then longer trips out of the house, and then long trips out of the house, um, and it really kind of laid it out in simple terms. Puts the pressure on you though. That book's like, you know, if this doesn't happen, it's because you have done something wrong. Like yes, so, so like your kid can do this, and if and if they don't do it, it's because you're not paying attention to them enough, or yeah. you're not doing whatever it is enough. So if like after three weeks they haven't got it. You need to do some serious self-reflection. It's a boot camp. Did it, you feel like it was kind of like a boot camp? And then, but it kind of whips you into shape because like these are all things that you need to be thinking about outside of potty training, right? Yeah. Just as parents, right? Yeah, and, the, yeah, and like the, the not being overbearing thing, I think, and we sort of dabbled in all of the don'ts at, at one point or another. So yeah. you know, we would be kind of hovering over a little bit or like forcing the potty on him or like bringing the potty to every room. And he started looking at me like, I hate this thing. Like, why do you keep yeah, bringing it around? Exactly. Or he would really, really fight it. And so we had to kind of relax a little bit. And um, we did not hit the timelines that she outlines in the book for sure. And But definite progress is, and we're still sort of chipping away at it, but he's definitely made great progress. And, you know, 95% of his peas and poos are now in the potty and that's great. But yeah. I like the block system. Um, yes. Where, okay, here's block one, here's when it's done, and here's when you should go to block two, here's when it's done, and, and like go to block three. And you know what? If you hit block three, but then you might need to go um, back to block two, that's okay. Um, I don't know. It was just an interesting book, and I thought that she laid it out really well. Have you noticed that if you start to maybe doubt something that your son picks up on that vibe, like then he's kind of like, so for example, if if you're like that whole uh, moving the potty thing from one room to the next, we did that too. And part of it was like, okay, well, let's just do this now. Let's do that. But that's like a sign of panic, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a sign of like, shit, I have no idea what I'm doing at this point. I'm just going to try everything because I'm stressed and, and this is not working. But but she even says like your kids pick up on that vibe, yeah. right? That you're not feeling confident right now. Yeah. And I found that like, wow, okay. Like if they're picking up on if they're picking up on me not being confident with just like moving the potty around or what to do in this process, like what's that going to mean later? Like, for example, when I provide Avina with some, you know, advice on, on drinking or something like that. And if I'm not confident with what I say, she, she's going to go to somebody who might be more confident, right. Who might be telling them the wrong message. Right. So, so it really had me thinking like, okay, confidence is important, obviously like, important to be vulnerable too and that you if you don't know something that you're going to learn through it together i think that's that's also you can't just lie your way through it but you got to be like you gotta it's important your kids look to you and if you're not the one setting a confident tone they just lose faith in the whole process i definitely remember experiencing i don't know if you're experiencing that right now I, i i definitely found that her advice for potty training kind of would sort of bleed over into other areas of parenting mm-hmm. and, and kind of make you think about that. And certainly block one where you're supposed to just look at your kid every minute of the day that they're awake to watch for their signs and to, so you, and that could be four days. That could be five days. You know, that could be a lot of days of just looking at your kid and it really sort of, 
it's it can be quite intimate because you your focus for those four or five days or whatever it is is a hundred percent your child and the distractions are minimal because you sort of have to be it's more than when they were like in the first month of when they were born yeah. i find yeah right because like you're i mean you're sleeping a lot and stuff you're not focusing yeah you're literally focusing almost a hundred percent of your attention yeah yeah, yeah yeah so i mean but so you sort of pick up on cues and like notice things even about other parts of their life that that maybe you wouldn't have noticed before because you're yeah. paying this close attention to them well arguably it's also probably the first big lesson like first big lesson for for a child to go through in terms of change right i mean you could you know if your child was being breastfed weaning them off is a big change but at that time, for most kids, I mean, there's still kids that, that are breastfeeding even after they're starting to talk and communicate. But let's just say, assume majority of kids are off breastfeeding before they start talking. You don't have that same kind of interaction. This is the first real time, I would say, where, you're, where your child is, is verbalizing their emotions and communicating and they're going through the change. And I think she does a really good job in sort of helping you manage through that change. Mm -hmm. And she has some great blogs and videos that I know I accessed during that time, which which also kind of supplement things and, and, and help, especially when you're in those moments that you're just, you're exhausted and you're thinking like this process is just not going to work out. So for us, it was successful. I think it took Avina, I think it took Avina about a, about a month, mm -hmm. but it, it was... Uh, but I think a, the, a lot of the lessons just have continued to play in my head now. And I know we're going to talk about helicopter parenting at some point with the, with the coddling of the American mind book. And, and that was a tough one because like you said, you're, you're supposed to pay attention, but then don't get too close. Cause then it puts pressure pressure on them and you're just like, don't know what to do. And then literally every time that I turn my back yep. away, Avina peed. Yeah, totally. And you're just like, wow. It gets hear. so, fr I was surprised at how frustrating yeah. the process could be. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. How, how tiring too. I mean, we always thought that we, you know, gave him a ton of attention all day. And we had just thought that it'd be, you know, probably more than maybe the average mm -hmm. kid got because we mm -hmm. just, yeah. but we were still tired at the end because we, us too. Uh, we probably took four or five days straight to kind of do get you know get through that first block, and it's a it can be a tiring thing for sure. But that book, I like the aspect of a clear plan, not just okay. Well, we're gonna put them in pull ups, and now we'll kind of see how this goes. And she even poo poos pull ups like she doesn't like mm -hmm. the 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 pull up diapers. So that but it's it's a it's a clear plan, but she also gives you like okay, if this happens then do this, right? Or if this obstacle barrier, you encounter this challenge, here's how you can approach it. Like it's 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 pretty thorough, mm -hmm. right? And it yep. really, it's just, there's a lot of things to remember. Whereas I did not think that potty training would be that complicated. Yeah, I like I knew it was going to be a challenge for, for my daughter to learn how to do it. I, I totally imagined that. I just did not think I would have to remember. And I must have flipped through all those pages over the course of that month so many times. I think I read sentences like 10 times because I thought I maybe wasn't didn't learn it properly or whatever. So there was just a lot of things. So it was like, a, again, a crash course. But it's so worth it because it just extends like we both talked about to, so far anyways, to other aspects of parenting. Yeah. No, I so, agree. Anyways, that's a great that was list. my third book. That's a great list of books you got there. I think your list was the foremost list and mine was probably the lesser list on this one. But I like the Marcus Aurelius though. I got to look into that. Yeah, yeah, you can borrow this one if you want. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't matter for the podcast. So, buddy, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, thanks for the conversation. Really appreciate it. It was another fun one. And uh, as always, looking forward to more of these. You bet. Appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you.